Gareth Jones on Speed. Motor Industry News Burp. Following the re-election of Emmanuel Macron as the French president, Renault have announced a new car named after him. The Renault Macron will take direct inspiration from the French leader in that it will promise a great deal, but ultimately deliver very little. News Burp. British sports car manufacturer TVR have announced that they'll be sponsoring the Formula E World Championship. Whilst initially it would appear somewhat surprising that a firm known for its large-capacity, multi-cylinder, internal combustion engine cars is hooking up with an electric race series, the reason for this hookup, TVR say, is that they will have a pure electric version of the Griffith on sale as early as 2024. Industry observers comment that this is about as likely as TVR designing and developing a moon rocket in six months. Or six years, in fact. We call Gareth Jones on Speed the podcast for petrol heads, but that's not strictly true. You know, we're also the podcast for diesel heads, battery electric vehicle heads, solar powered, and more than that, we don't just like cars, we like all vehicles, like trucks as well. And the other day, I was out in the high street here in Hackney, and I saw something I hadn't seen before, and that was a Ford articulated lorry driving down the road. And that made me think, ah, I need to have a conversation about Ford and what they're doing in trucks. And the best possible person to talk to about that is on the line now. He's the managing director and the publisher at Commercial Vehicle Media and Publishing and is, I suppose in some ways, the truck equivalent to Gareth Jones on Speed because Matthew Eisenegger, you're passionate about trucks, aren't you? Oh, we do like our trucks. Yeah, we do. The heavy trucks, they've got a certain allure. People are interested, even if you're not involved in the industry. People like to look at big trucks, they really do. And we're at a real sort of crossroads. Now, you were talking about, I believe it would have been either the Ford F-Max or the Ford Cargo. It's a good story. We've got emerging fuel technologies. We've got electric vehicles, electric mobility. We've got hydrogen fuel cell. But Ford is a traditional manufacturer, global presence. But back in the late 80s, early 90s, gradually moved away from production and heavy trucks in Europe. They had a partnership, didn't they, with Iveco? And sold out to Iveco. That's why we lost Ford, Yeah, that's it? exactly what happened. Right. Yeah, for whatever reasons, the power be decided that mainstream heavy truck production for Europe wasn't their thing. But that doesn't mean to say it doesn't go on in the rest of the world. What you've seen is a vehicle that's built in Turkey by Ford of Turkey and is very successful in its domestic market. At the minute, and this is how I understand, they're only really sort of focusing on the left-hand drive markets and what I would call emerging markets. So it's what would be the new EU member states. So the further east you get, it's probably where they're going to get a sort of market significance. You can, I know there's operators in Britain have bought them via an importer ship, but like with anything else, in the truck world, the UK is a very, very mature marketplace. Mm -hmm. It's a very mature market. So we are very, very reliant on a robust dealer network. That's the key to it. Whichever analogy you want, you know, you know there's no time for downtime. So yeah. we can't have vehicles off the road we're an island nation you look at any motorway network 24 7 it's working all the time 
And the infrastructure that that means is that trucks need to work all the time. So we need a very, very developed network to be able to support it. Now, the Ford truck, I've seen it a couple of years ago. It won International Truck of the Year. So it's really on the money with its design. I believe their own drive lines as well. A lot of stuff they've developed themselves. But is it right for the UK market? Is it right for the more mature European market? I would say probably yes to a certain extent. Can I ask you to qualify that? So... What you're actually talking about is not the vehicle itself. The vehicle probably is as good as anything no, else from any other manufacturer. Absolutely. It's all about the package the of support network. that you get when you're running a commercial vehicle and it's got to run how many hours a day to make a profit for you. Yeah. So you're buying a service when you buy a truck. Is that right? Yeah, wow. that is the key to it, you know. And we're lucky in the UK, we have a very mature dealer network, yeah. you know, with lots and lots of dealer groups servicing lots and lots of vehicles. Let's list them, because there aren't that many players in the UK commercial vehicle fleet market, you might yeah, yeah. say. Um, yeah, yeah. Have I got them right? Let me see if I can name them, right? I made a list from scratch earlier on. Volvo. Yep. DAF. Yeah. Scania. Yeah. MAN. MAN, yeah. Iveco still and Renault. Have we got Mercedes Benz in oh, there? Oh, well? Mercedes Benz. What do they call their big one? The Actros, is that right? Actros is a big one, yeah. Actros yeah. is a heavy long range vehicle. But just going back to what we we're saying about the Ford. Now, don't get me wrong, you will see, and you've seen one on your street, you will see the vehicles over. They predominantly are Turkish registered. They're running from Turkey. Right. And there is a support network. In fact, if anybody wants to look at the Ford F-Max or Ford Cargo, look at it, you know, the representation they've got and the backup they've got, even if they're not represented as a dealer network, yeah. is there. So it's there, but again, it just would you be able to buy one as people have bought them in the UK? So who are Ford using for their support? Is it their van dealer network no, no, in the UK? No, absolutely not. No, no. When they started, they'd got a support recovery arrangement with, I believe, TIP. Okay. which are a trailer rental business. So they did have it there from when that vehicle was launched. So they're outsourcing it. Yeah. They have another firm supplying that support. So it is there. They've put a package together themselves. I get it. Let's have a quick look. Now, here we are. Now, I don't think this is right, but I'll read this to you. Go on. I wonder how many BLB's big lorry bar. BLB readers knew this. The new Ford Cargo 1846T has call centre support at 40,000 service points in 38 European countries with a total of 46 countries. Thanks to Ford Roadside Assistance Service in Europe, the drivers will receive towing, airstroke bus ticket accommodation and transportation to get their vehicle back if there are any problems. So they have thought about it. Fascinating. It's interesting that when you take on a mature market, you put the sort of separate package together and eventually might just absorb the whole thing themselves. But I guess they're being adaptive. They're good at that. Hey, listen, talking about adaptive Ford, I know that the new Volkswagen Amarok was teased or launched today. Yeah, yeah. That's built on the Ford Ranger platform. So there's Ford working with VW as they have done. Yeah, they they are doing, you know, I mean, I get that some of the bigger platforms as well are going to be sharing i'm not again you've caught me on a little bit of the back foot but i do know some of the vehicles will have shared platforms but you've got to bear in mind where we are with vehicles now whether you're looking at a heavy truck whether you're looking at van passenger car the things are so blindingly expensive to develop mm. and in particular when you're looking at a pickup market which is a big market yeah but 
for one manufacturer to sort of, and I would imagine they're going to go down the global, it'll be a global product, is easy to share. Vans have been doing it for years because if you're developing a platform for a passenger car, well, that's fine. But the numbers are just not the source. So it just yeah. makes financial, commercial common sense to maybe share the burden a little bit and give it your own little twist, I suppose. You don't know, do you, roughly how many new trucks are sold in Britain in a year? Any idea? The market used to be always between, I think it was 30 and 40,000. A bad year would be 30. A good year to be 40, 44,000. There you go. That's a significantly smaller market. You know, you've got to do partnerships. There's some exciting stuff happening in battery electric vehicles and hydrogen electric vehicles and hybrid vehicles in cars. What's happening in the world of trucks equivalent to that? Exactly the same. Really? Yeah. The problem with trucks is as the name would imply you know the commercial vehicles there for a commercial purpose and we talk about the payload and guess what it's the load that pays for the vehicle uh-huh. ev technology and heavy trucks is there it's happening it's available now there's vehicle manufacturers have got products of it you can go buy a new renault renault trucks their vehicle range i think called e-tech i can't they've all got these little like brands they like to use and it's a pure electric tractor unit well no it's a rigid vehicle now, this is where we've got to sort of do a little bit of myth busting and dispel rumors at the moment, battery technology for heavy trucks is only really suitable for rigid vehicles that are involved in urban distribution or urban collection. Now, where you live, in Jones Manor, <laughs> there'll be a refuse collection vehicle that goes up and down your street once a week or whenever it is. That is the perfect solution for EV. Right. Based on around 26 tonnes. The range, depending on who you listen to, is good for about 150, 160 kilometres a day. Go bear in mind, Refuse collection, Monday the in one street, one area, one borough, Tuesday in another borough, and that's how it works. It's very, very planned, it's regimented. So the secret to it is being able to get the vehicles charged back at the base. We're about to see the new Mercedes-Benz Actros, E-Actros. They've got their own solution to more of a rigid solution. I've seen it. I've got an EV tract unit under development, like all major manufacturers have. Volvo are on the cusp, and I have launched, I mean, I feel I should have been in Gothenburg a few weeks ago, but blighted by a certain illness called COVID-19, which I couldn't travel on. But, oh. you know, so that all the major manufacturers are on it now and are gradually rolling their things out. But the successes are going to be based around urban distribution because of the range. This kind of makes sense to me as well, because yeah, yeah. the idea that this sort of electric revolution would happen from the city outwards where it's in mm. some ways most critical and works and the technology will evolve just picking up on terminology there that we listeners might not be absolutely certain on you've got an articulated lorry or you've got yeah. a rigid now a rigid is anything that isn't articulated anything that doesn't bend in the middle yeah, yeah 15 ton delivery trucks yeah a rigid vehicle if we were to see any of the parcel companies round your streets yeah chances are they'll be working on a seven and a half ton vehicle a seven and a half ton that is what we call the gross vehicle weight that's the amount of weight that that vehicle can physically impose on the road right they're quite popular and as we go up the weight we have incrementals at 12 13 40 we don't see many of those the next one up from that realistically is about an 18 ton vehicle which again same rules apply they're the bigger ones you'll see those with quite big curtain side bodies and you know the bodies where the curtains are come back in and yep. see the pallets loaded inside yeah and then from that we go into multi-axle rigids which uh, as the name would imply there's a number of axles on there which would be things like you'd see engaging construction work with yep. the tipping bodies we call those eight wheelers because there's four axles and eight wheels yep 
I, there's a few more than eight wheels, but we're not getting too hung up on the terminology. But they're, they're the things you'd see going on and off your building sites. And then we get into articulated vehicles. Now, articulated vehicles, as the name would apply, a truck, a tractor unit, which has what we call a fifth wheel, which is basically a pivot point on the back of it. Yep. And beyond that, we have a trailer, predominantly with three axles. They're the things we see zipping up down the motorway. So that's a very sort of brief nice breakdown of what we're seeing out on the road as you know i spent lots of time in trucks usually in the trailer of an arctic moving rock and roll equipment around back in my rock and roll days we also drove around europe in a ford cargo that was about as big a thing you could drive on a conventional license at the time Um, yeah, yeah. yeah and so i've always been interested in trucks i'm excited to hear that there are functioning rigids now that are battery electric vehicles you've got to bear in mind though you know i don't care what anybody says there is a lot of life left in diesel yet but there are, yep. there are solutions available now without any fancy modifications any technical updates anything at all if you're running a diesel vehicle a heavy truck there's a fuel called hvo which is hydro treated vegetable oil now, HVO, as it's known around the chain, will give you an immediate massive reduction in CO2. Now, okay, when we yeah. talk about heavy trucks, we still have the impression that these things are dirty, smelly things and not at all. Absolutely not. Rumour has it the air coming out of the truck is cleaner than air going in. The big thing at the minute, the NOx, the nitrous oxide, the particulates have all been dealt with through filtration systems after the fuel's been burnt in the exhaust system. They've gone. The big thing at the minute is CO2. We've got to reduce CO2. And the only way you can reduce CO2 is look at alternative fuel sources. But realistically, for trucks and truck design, is burn less fuel. So we're trying to make vehicles more aerodynamic, more efficient, just to bring that CO2 number down. In some ways, the compulsion on the trucking industry to move is greater than on the private car owner because... Oh, good, good. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's a yeah. commercial reason, if you like, for your existence, and that will force it, won't it? And, you know, we, we have to do that. Okay, yeah. so we've talked about rigids and talked about inner-city use and semi-urban and urban electric transport. How about your tractor-trailer articulated units? I know that Hyundai have got a pilot scheme of a bunch of hydrogen fuel cell tractors operating in Europe. I think they're in Austria. Again, the technology's there. Let's not kid ourselves. Hydrogen technology, hydrogen fuel cell. I mean, you've got a bit of hydrogen fuel cell vehicle. It's basically the same as electric vehicle. It's a different type of battery that you use. Just to yep. keep it simple. Different it, way it, of storing your energy. Yeah. But basically, that's all it is. But you're using, you know, you're using electric motive force to move the vehicle forward. It's lighter, so the penalties in relationship to payload are significantly reduced, but the vehicles are so horrendously expensive. But because, you know, where we're developing EV trucks here, in relationship to development terms, you know, the hydrogen's a good way behind it. So obviously the economies of scale and cost wear that out. But yeah. hydrogen fuel cells have been used in buses for a long time. It's not a new technology. There's vehicles working in the UK. Yes, I see them around here. They're a partnership between Dennis and Chinese firm. It's not BYD, is it? No. BYD, yeah. It is yeah. BYD. BYD do bring buses and coaches into the UK. I mean, I'm not a bus and coach. Yep, yeah, they're operating I'm, in my I'm, neighbourhood I'm, here. I don't wear an anorak. <laughs> I think we all do in some small way, though, don't we? How about Tesla? Now, I'm going to talk about the disruptors because Tesla have been promising the tesla semi as they call it or the tesla truck what's the latest on that from a truck industry point of view are we cynical about it well first and foremost when they broke the story about the semi uh, so you've got me sitting there i've got (laughs) about the 
Tesla truck. My sister-in-law has got no interest in commercial vehicles at all. Mm. Said to me, God, have you seen this Tesla truck they're doing? Now, to me, whether it goes anywhere, whether it gets traction, what it's done is actually brought EV technology into the commercial world. I'm not saying by the back door, because it's not. But by suggesting ways it could be done. Exactly. But what it has done, your Mr. and Mrs. Average on the street will have no idea that these vehicles are already available from various manufacturers and are ready to break cover. So it's waved the flag for where the industry is going. So to me, I think it's a great story. Again, I don't know too much about the technical detail about it, but what it's done is it's awareness and it's using that brand to make awareness for the industry. You're going to love this. As far as I know, aren't Amazon running two Mm -hmm. battery electric DAFs now? DAF, as well as other vehicle manufacturers, are developing trucks for main high street brands. And what you're going to see in the not-too-distant future is a number of products from a number of manufacturers working with that. DAF have got vehicles already out there working um, with... I I, I, I genuinely can't tell you because I'm not necessarily involved with the project, but I know... Leave it there. Say no more. Yeah, but yeah, the vehicles are out there and coming to a high street near you soon. Fascinating. It's the way it should be. Yeah. Just wind the clock back to COVID-19. But when you look at what's happened, you've got to try and get some crumbs of comfort. You've got to try and find some sort of nugget that is a good thing to come out of a horrible situation. Yeah. If you remember at the start of COVID-19, where the world virtually stopped, planes stopped flying, trucks stopped Well, trucks didn't stop moving, but there's trucks out of anything were pushed to the fore and we really did value the commercial vehicle industry and the logistics industry, I should say. We had dolphins swimming up into Venice and a lot of London boroughs did experience an immense improvement in air quality. Yeah, I noticed it. So we've proven that things can be done. But, I mean, that's an extreme way of doing it. But what it really has done is made people aware that we can do something quite quickly but there's not a silver bullet for all this Gareth Mm -hmm. it's a combination of you know I think if I'm getting on my high horse with all this first and foremost I've said and I've said it for a long time transport is too cheap Mm -hmm. we want here and now we don't want to wait till the weekend for the goods we want it tomorrow and what we'll do is we'll order you know if it's clothing we'll order three or four of them try the ones that we like hang the other ones on the door handle outside and the van comes and takes it away to me that is an ultra-premium service. Yeah. We live in a square, and it's sort of a residential area. Now, we'll get maybe two or three Amazon deliveries a day in here, as well as other random and subcontractors working for other people. Now, surely there's got to be some sort of planning on the face, some planning software that can sort of say, well, hang on a minute, well, why is this delivery company delivering three times into this square? when if we planned it slightly differently, we could have one. Mm-hmm. And again, mm-hmm. and I'm just sort of trying to think about making a better and cleaner world for everybody. I honestly think the logistics industry, heavy trucks, I think they run 12 hours wrong. Well, they should all run at night. Yeah, this working day should start at 7 o'clock at night, finish yeah. at 7 o'clock in the morning. It does for a lot of drivers, doesn't it? Yeah, well, it does. Yeah. It does, but there's a lot that it doesn't. 
And, you know, if you do the calculations to take a vehicle from standstill to 90 kilometres an hour at 56 and then stop it and start it again, that's where you're burning the fuel. Right. If you could yeah. have the longer runs. Yeah. I'm also a staunch advocate of bigger vehicles as well. I know people don't like it, but if we like we do in, in certain European Sweden, for example. Yeah, economies of scale. You can carry a greater payload. We have got a campaign running or an initiative running in the UK and has been running for a few years called LHV Longer Heavier Vehicles. But to me, if you look at what's going on in Sweden, and some of the Nordics, they're running at 60 tonnes gross vehicle weight. You know, we're at 44 tonnes at the minute. So, again, 44 tonnes being the actual physical weight we can impart on the road surface yep. on six axles. In Sweden, we're 60 tonnes, but 25 metres long. So it's virtually, in dimension, it's virtually twice as long as your traditional truck you'll see on the motorway. Uh -huh. To me, for efficiency, you're using one truck to move that. Yep. Everything weighs in its favour. Yeah. The other thing, again, we're talking about what's out there. I mean, we're talking about autonomous driving. We talk about connectivity. They're the buzzwords. I would imagine not full autonomy, but the sort of level two autonomy that we've got in cars at the moment, your mm. lane keeping and that preventing you crashing into yeah, someone in front. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. is really essential one clogged motorway networks in the UK. And I bet that's a real assistance to economy for a truck, isn't it? There are savings well, to be made. There are. I've been all over the world seeing these demonstrations. And to get the efficiency, you've really got to dial these trucks. You know, and they will, you know, the systems are there. All we're doing to autonomous driving is combining technologies, you know, lane guard assist, adaptive cruise control, and AEBS, advanced electronic braking systems. So we, the technology's already there, and we're just linking it up. But to get the efficiency, so just a vehicle driving on its own, down the motorway, I've done it. You've got all these fancy systems. It'll keep you safe and it'll keep the vehicle and pedestrians and everybody else. Marvellous technology. I've seen the demonstrations. It's brilliant. We can go to the next level to that where we've got autonomous driving, where we're actually bringing these vehicles really, really close. And I've seen a demonstration where they had a procession of these trucks 30 centimetres apart. So they create a train of trucks yes. that operate yeah. together. And they're transferring data from the front to the other members that, yep. That's how exactly, and everything's instant. So when the first yep. truck hits the brakes, everything's. But the the efficiency there, it's a fuel efficiency because it's like everybody's now being behind each other. Yeah, a peloton. Yeah, it sounds brilliant. But this is my personal opinion that in certain countries, certain motorway networks, that will work and it'll work a treat because you've got not lots of traffic on there. You've got vehicles that will be doing three, four, five hundred miles. No problem. You try to drive down from the south of Birmingham to the Scottish borders. How many junctions, how many intersections will you get? So the technology's there, but will it be usable in our network? Yeah. Now, it would be usable if we ran the vehicles 7 p.m. at night to 7 in the morning. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. I see you know, so There's a lot going out there, and but if I were to give you sort of a flavour of where we are, at the minute, it's all about alternative fuels. It's all about electromobility. That's the thing. And you pretty much every penny you've got, that every heavy truck manufacturer out there has got something about to launch or has launched or, again, not too far away to be launched. But we've other things that we need to address as well. I'm interested in what the disruptors are doing. There are a bunch of new battery electric vehicle yeah. manufacturers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Who are yeah. the key players at the moment? In I know in the States you've got Rivian and the Tesla Cybertruck. But in the UK, who are making interesting delivery trucks? A lot of this, they're either about to launch or yeah. are launching or I've got work in progress. And we call the disruptors. We've been talking about existing vehicle manufacturers. And what they're doing is basically taking their platform and... Electrifying it. Yeah, electrifying it. It's not just as simple as that. But we're taking yeah. 
their vehicle cab, their vehicle chassis rails, removing the diesel parts and replacing it with electric motors, batteries and everything else. So it's engineered from the ground up. But we've got vehicle manufacturers entering the market with brand new products. And one of those is Volta. And if you look at their vehicle... The Volta Zero. That's it. Yeah. They've been very, very clever of how they brought that vehicle to market because it is a true global product, if you wanted to, because the steering wheel is in the centre. It's not sided to either left or right. Right. And again, there's another one coming. It's Teva, T-E-V-V-A. They're another manufacturer entering the market with brand new specific products. So for independent businesses or new businesses, I should say, it's marvellous. What is it? Necessity is the mother of invention and there is an absolute need to come up with some new ideas at the moment and that empowers non-traditional manufacturers to come up with radical ideas. Absolutely, yeah. Or at least market that idea. These things are horrendously expensive, you know, from a development perspective. You know, Mm. you really are. You're coming from the ground upwards with these things. You're talking immense amount of money, but it's not changing. Once they've launched, you know, I mean, again, there are people who are far more qualified than I am to talk about batteries. But the batteries that we're using now will not be the batteries that these vehicles are going to be powered on in another two years' time. We're about to launch a new magazine called Destination Net Zero. Now, this is about emerging technologies in the commercial vehicle industry. It's not just about electric. It's trying to bring together everything into one place. Now, when I started thinking about doing a forward feature list for this, we, as a publishing house, we publish four magazines. At the end of the year we start looking at our forward features list for the next year. Yeah. I have not been able to do a forward features list for Destination Net Zero magazine because the stuff I was planning on writing about or we were writing about in quarter four this year, quarter four 2022, we've already addressed it in quarter one and if not quarter four 2021 right. because that's how fast it's moving. Yeah, wow. The technology is moving at such a pace. Yeah, it's exciting. It's like watching the space race, which was, again, necessity forcing invention, you know. It is, but I always try as best I can, to sort of balance these things. Now, I've just returned from a van event, an LCV event in Barcelona with Ford, and we're looking at the new e-transit. LCV, light commercial vehicle. Commercial vehicle, yeah. yeah. And it's what's going to be their offering to the world of transit, which is totally EV. Fantastic vehicle. But they all are. Everybody's got a great product out there. It's dead easy. We've spent, I don't know, what, 20, 25 minutes talking about the vehicles. That's the easy bit. Really? Yeah, good point. Yeah. Because I'm putting my trust. I've been with Ford yesterday in Barcelona and putting my faith in that blue oval. I know that that vehicle will come into my work premises and it will be totally fit for purpose and it'll be brilliant. I know that every truck that I drive, you're putting the faith in the vehicle. They're the easy bits. It's how you adapt your business to work with electromobility vehicles. Wow. How are you going to charge them? We talk about headroom. We talk about headroom on the grid. Is your your facilities capable to be able to park 20 new electric vans in there or 20 electric trucks overnight and charge the things up? And if not, how do you make them fit for purpose? So what we've got to develop is an integrated transport, energy transfer and creation and distribution network. Little independent operators, you know, a small commercial truck operator who's, what, got 10 tractors that they're operating. What's he going to do? Get his own little nuclear power plant developed by Rolls-Royce? I had exactly that same conversation the other day because we'll talk about sustainable fuel. I mean, if we can, we'll talk about everything we want, but... Yeah, we do need sustainable energy. Rolls-Royce with their mini nuclear, well, basically submarine technology in it that they've done about repurposing into power stations. But the thing about it is, as facilities, you know, you may want to or be forced to, because of low emission charging or clean air zone charging, you may be forced to have to go down that route. Now, 
you want to do your bit, you've got to do your bit. But who pays for it? Boris set this zero tailpipe emission for 2030. We're eight years away from that. So the decisions, you, and you've got to bear in mind, some of these vehicles as well, because they are ultra specialist, they're not going to perform in the normal life cycles of a normal truck or a normal van. By implication, they are going to be running into and beyond into the next decade. We're eight years away from that now. You've got to really start thinking, hang on a minute. One, I've got to embrace this technology, or even if I don't want it, I've got to adapt to it. So I've got to invest some... Are my premises right? my location right? So it could well be not just buying the vehicles. It could well be that you're having to up sticks and move to somewhere closer that's either better for you to supply the level of service you need to your customers or somewhere where you can get the rights of power play into it. Wow, that's interesting because that's a flip of what's happening in other industries yeah. where location is less important. You know, you can yeah. work from home. However, yeah. when you're talking about moving stuff around... Yeah, yeah. You need to be at a node point where you get to the yeah. maximum number of people. So the requirements on transport of commercial goods is forcing location. Wow, that's a shocker. You can't buy a truck. You're going to buy a whole industry. You're not a truck anymore. You're a business operator, Absolutely. a landowner, land leaser. Whoa. The vehicle is the easy bit. Mm, interesting. It's how you prepare your business and the money you've got to invest to get the power into it because these things are not cheap tell me of those big players i listed earlier on the you know the traditional hgv brands you might say yeah who owns who these days volvo that's nothing to do with geely is it who own volvo cars no volvo is an entity volvo trucks are a separate entity to what was going on with the passenger car business but volvo and renault are one organisation. So Volvo as a group or Renault trucks, not Renault cars, are completely different again. Yeah, yeah. Right? Aveco is just basically, was part of the... I can Fiat tell you who Aveco... Please, sir, can I hold my hand up? Yeah, can I yeah, 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 Aveco, yeah. wasn't it? Magiris, Deutz, Fiat, Automobili, yeah, Ford yeah. Motor Company. I think that was it, four of them, weren't yeah, they? International yeah, yeah. Vehicle Consortium or something it stood yeah, for. Yeah, that's right, yeah. yeah. They ultimately ended up under the sort of ownership of Fiat and then moved from Fiat to Fiat Power. To, anyway, so anyway, they're now, they've been spun off for a separate entity now. Right. They're a standalone business. Fantastic. Scania are part of... Now, they use a brand called Trayton, which is the heavy commercial arm of VW Group. So within that is Scania and MAN. Really? VW own MAN? I, yeah, well, I knew they had interest in MAN. Uh, they've got interest in Scania too. Wow. Yeah, like ownership and shareholding. I'm not, yeah. you know, I mean, you'll have uh, to look in the FT for that. But they report back into VW Group under that Trayton brand. Fascinating. Mercedes-Benz are, of course, Daimler Group. Yeah, that's it. Have they got a partnership with Chinese investment possibly now as well? There's a lot of that, isn't there? There's a lot of trucking in China. They've got an arrangement in India as well. Bad up, Benz. I've got two questions to ask you now. I think we've covered all the big people. DAF are what used to be Leyland DAF. They manufacture in the UK, in other territories yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. Who owns DAF? Packer, which are based in Seattle. And they're the same organisation that own Kenworth and Peterbilt. So if you ever watch these big American road movies and we see these big Kenworths and Peterbilts, that's the same organisation. There's a few other brands that fall in under there as well. I'll tell you the story that's not told enough this, but we all talk about the demise of the British motor industry and how we don't make anything in Britain anymore. And we all go back in the day. Well, DAF's quite an interesting story because DAF are built in Leyland, you call it Leyland Assembly Plant, or Leyland Trucks, which are the assembler of 
DAF vehicles. Yep. Now, DAF, you look around your home now. Can you think of any product in your home or anything you see that that particular brand? Now, there's probably an exception to prove the rule here with, like, Apple. But is there any product you can see that that particular brand, one in three of that particular thing, that vacuum cleaner, one in three in Britain is sold is of that particular brand? Because I can't think of a lot of things. It's that successful? Is that what yeah. you're saying? One in three trucks sold in Britain is a DAF. Wow. Which, by implication, means just about one in three trucks on Britain's road are built in Britain. That's good. It's never spoken about that. A bit of proper old automotive, heavy engineering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Been yeah. going at it long enough to know that we can deliver, we can compete with cheaper European factories, yeah? Exactly. It's, Chinese you know, importing. These things, like all manufacturing, like all industry, it's an evolution. It constantly changes. And if you go back 50 years to British heavy truck manufacturing, there's probably 25 manufacturers, or certainly 20. Yeah. And eventually being consolidated into probably, into realistically, into... What was three brands, one being ARF, Ford became part of the Packard family and then brought their manufacturing in with Leyland. And then the ERF was an part of MEM. But other than that, if you look at some of these old traditional brands we talk about, there was Sedden and Atkinson that ultimately became part of the Aveco group. But we talk about Scammel, we talk about AEC, we talk Scam. about Guy, we talk about Thornycroft. The Guy Warrior, that was a construction yeah, truck of it. the 1960s, yeah. I remember that. All these things, BMC, Albion... Yeah. All these things over time gradually merged into what became British yeah. Leyland. Yeah. And ultimately, obviously, the business went into receivership, in, I think, in 1993, but came out the other side, a very, very strong organisation under one brand and had brought all that expertise and everything with them. There was some bifurcation in the Leyland brand as well, because I know Leyland had an operation in India. Is it called Ashoka Leyland? Ashok Leyland, yeah. Ashok Leyland. That's yeah. still selling vehicles yeah. all over the Indian subcontinent in the Leyland brand, which is lovely to know. The uh, traditional yeah. L yeah. in that yeah. rose. Yeah, I yeah. stumbled across that recently and it warmed my heart. Yeah, that's right. All right, yeah, yeah. We, yeah. listen, we've got to wrap this up. I would talk forever about this with you. So we've got to come back and do more. Tell me two things. Where can we find out more about trucks from the work that you do in terms of online and print? Tell me. We have a number of publications. We try to sort of cover the market across either driver market or high in compliance. We do CV Driver Magazine, which is nobody's employees a driver magazine for truck drivers distributed around motorway service areas, truck stops and the laundry washes and the like. We've got Daft Driver Magazine, which the name would imply is a brand-specific offering, which, again, is a little bit more varied. Not all truck stuff in there. There's quite a bit of lifestyle stuff that, you know, would engage with any reader that's got an interest in technology and engineering, as I call Full it. Full disclosure, I have written for Daft Driver Magazine. I've written a number of articles about trucks mm. and cars, and it was yeah. a privilege to do so. Thank you, Matthew. Well, so yeah. I have to declare an interest. Go on, to your, beyond Daft Driver, tell me the others. Yeah, we've got Trade Van Driver Magazine, which is our van offering, which, as a name would imply, is for professional trades that are used in vans. Oh, transit and traffic. Oh, that's it. There you go, <laughs> which is through independent builders, merchants, wholesale, electric supplies alike. And we also do a magazine we work very, very closely with FORS, which is the Fleet Operator Recognition Scheme, which is an operator audit process, which is designed to sort of help and improve and showcase high-end compliance operators in Britain. So everything's available. There's a website attached to every title that we do. Go online, have a look. Thank you. Listen, one last question. I'm going to take this right back to where we started. 
because I think one of my favourite trucks of all time. Actually, small sideline, a huge truck rescue unit came down our street the other day and I chat with a bloke there and I said, do you know what? The word Holmes Wrecker comes to mind. Yeah. Uh, do you remember the Holmes yeah. Wrecker double hook on the rear, uh, short chassis? Back in the day, when I was a rookie mechanic, rookie technician, whatever you want to call it, apprentice, our Leyland Hippo recovery truck had a Holmes 750 lift on the back of it. That's why it was a Holmes record, because it was a Holmes uh, lift on the back. I didn't know that. Yeah, Thank you. So to bring it right back, in this neighbourhood, I saw a Ford truck, and it reminded me, oh, I love Ford Motor Company. Probably my favourite truck of all time was the ultimately ill-fated Ford Transcontinental. Transcontinental. Yeah, there's a word. Yeah, yeah. Man, what happened? You know, why did it fail? What happened? We're going back into the early 70s, early to mid 70s, when if anybody's out there and has seen an old program now, but I remember watching it as a kid called Destination Doha. And it was about a company based in Kent called Astrans, which the trucks run into the Middle East, as anyone implied. That's where they were going in, across mainland Europe and, you know, Turkey and all these other countries. At that time, there was a struggle moving the amount of requirement of product to the far east and they couldn't get enough on ships railways didn't go there you know so you needed bigger vehicles with more cab space so that time scania and volvo and mercedes-benz to a certain extent are taking the lead in that and i think other european manufacturers one being ford with ford yeah. transcontinental the other one being leyland with marathon and super marathon and the other one being Bedford with Bedford TM all decided they needed to get... I'm using the Middle East as an extreme, but, you know, Europe was really opening up as a place, if you see what I mean, you know, to be able to move goods in and out. The common market as it was then. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. what it was, you know. So the restrictions were sat, it was still problematic with border controls, but it, at mm. least it was open for business. So a number of manufacturers, excuse the pun, jumped on the bandwagon as well. And for whatever reason... The success is quite an interesting story, the Transcontinental, because it really was... Ahead of its time? It was, but the cab was originally the Berlier cab, which was French, which ultimately became the cab that went on the Renault Turboliner and Highliner. Right. The engines were Cummins. I think the gearbox and back axle was fuller. So it was really an assembly of different products, of different engines. Do you know what? I'm reminded, I've got to wrap this up now, but what you described there was Ford putting a package of suppliers and things together yeah. to offer a service. And that's exactly what they're doing now with their heavy goods commercial vehicles. That You know, they're outsourcing mm -hmm. and pulling a package together, yeah. which kind of brings me back home. But my final question, the other one was, briefly, what's your favourite truck ever, Matthew, and why? Have you got one? I just remember, as it, uh, oh, I'll go off on it. We'll be here for another half, and I'm, I'll keep it brief. I grew up just outside Leeds in a village called Driglinton, and between Driglinton and the next village, Gilderson, runs the M62. And as a small kid, my sort of time, I, as a family, we didn't have a car. We, you know, we were not from a transport background. So my idea of pleasure, spending some time with my dear old man, God rest his soul, was stood on the motorway bridge waving at trucks. That, and, you know, yeah. So, but the one thing, I do remember, and we have spoken about it, is the Ford Transcontinental, because I remember looking at that thing in the mid-70s, and I was probably a six, seven-year-old small boy looking at it as it a monster like a of wall, a didn't it? It did, and I knew nothing about the history. I knew nothing about the intentions of it, but its sheer presence yeah. was to me jaw-dropping. So was it a commercial success for Ford? No. But did little kids like it? Yes. And I've just said I'm not a man that wears an anorex. I've just, I've just <laughs> let me... 
I've just let my guard down there, innit? I am happy, Matthew, to admit that I were a very similar anorak to yours in that context then, because mm-hmm. I, I chose the transcontinental. It's amazing that it means so much to you. Hey, yeah. enough. Listen, thank you, Matthew Eisenegger, for talking to us on Gareth Jones on Speed today. Say goodbye. Yeah, goodbye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy. And thank you. You took us somewhere we weren't expecting. That's remarkable and to be welcome. Thank you. This was Gareth Jones on Speed. See you for the next episode, which will probably be about cars for a change. See ya. For information on how to contact the show, see pictures, get song lyrics, follow us on Twitter, find our Facebook fan page, or to sponsor the show, go to garethjones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Wizbang. Gareth Jones on Speed! <laughs>